I don't think clients understand how much effort goes into estimating and budgeting a home. It's not just sending it out for bid. <laughs> it's also working with designers, finding out from the salespeople what your expectations are. And I wish clients who come and receive a bid understand that there was a lot of effort placed into their bids. Welcome to the Art of Custom from Hibbs Homes. Sponsored by Pella Window and Doors and Ferguson Bath Kitchen and Lighting Gallery. In this episode, Kim talks budgeting a custom home with senior estimator Drew Pageant. He then discusses the lending process with Trisha McConkie from Associated Bank in Missouri and broker Ace Alec from People's Home Equity in Salt Lake City. Set up your spreadsheet and listen in. Hi, everyone. It's nice to have you with us. This is going to be a very interesting and it's also a very important episode. We're going to talk about budgeting and lending, two important components of the custom building process. We're going to be joined by our senior estimator, Drew Pageant. Drew has a world of experience that she's going to share with us today. And then later, we're going to be talking with a couple of our favorite lenders. But let's kick things off. Drew, how are you today? And thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Happy to be here. You have a very interesting background. I, I really would like you to share with our listeners what that background is all about, which really lends to the credibility about why we have you on this show talking about budgeting. Well, how far back would you <laughs> like me to go? I would say having been in sales gives me just a little bit better understanding of the internal process of selling and also setting client expectations and how when that goes sideways, how that can cause a, a wave of effect for not only the bidding and estimating portion of the project, but also for the superintendents and uh, for the company as a whole and the follow-up because expectations weren't properly set. So sales has given me the ability to at least empathize with the client as well as the entire internal staff. Now, from sales, I went into project management and I worked mostly on the um, pre-construction project management, getting permits, getting homes through uh, design with architects, coordinating um, bidding and estimating during that portion. And then I would get involved during the finish management portion of the project, interior finish project manager, basically. Mm -hmm. So I, I did that for a few years. And then as I worked with a. Perry in Chicago, my job morphed into bidding and estimating because of the introduction of co-construct to the company. It required someone who had the know-how of how to use a system, but also had some construction background. And so over the next five years, I learned the ins and outs of estimating and bidding a luxury product. It's been very interesting. I bet. Uh, and just to tie up some loose ends, A. Perry is a custom home builder in the Chicago area. And you mentioned CoConstruct, and that is the software platform that we and many builders across the country use to manage our projects, including our budgeting. And that's kind of how we got together, because I know that uh, your husband was the builder in residence at CoConstruct for a couple of years, and he's also very active in the residential construction industry right now, but he also used to be a custom home builder. So we kind of came together that way, and you've been helping us with our budgeting at Hibbs Homes. So you've been a very important part of what we're trying to do at Hibbs Homes. You know, they have this saying, Drew, that there is no such thing as a dumb question. Yeah. 
Well, I'm going to ask you what I consider to be a little bit of a dumb question, but in all seriousness, I think it's an important question to answer is, why is the budgeting process so critical when it comes to custom homes? There's the obvious reasons as far as making sure the project is profitable for the company. But again, budgeting goes back to meeting client expectations from the beginning. Whether a client comes in with a budget that is below what their intentions are of spending or it's at the top of where they're comfortable, you have a very set goal to meet. And so it's important to budget properly so that you know how to execute the project, meeting actually everyone's expectations. I know that you have a certain expectation on earnings in order to keep the company doors open. The clients have an expectation in getting the home that they want and the vision that they have for their home in within their budget. And then there's people like the designers who and the superintendents who are looking at the budget asking, how do we execute on the vision and how much do we have to spend? So if any of that is out of alignment, it can create a lot of rift and some friction as everyone's trying to deliver a beautiful home and make sure that it's good for everyone involved. And that's why it's important to really make sure that your builder has an adequate team and an experienced team in place, because you mentioned a lot of different people from the designer to to the estimator, to the superintendent, and to the expectations. There's a lot that goes on there. And so just make sure your builder has a team who can handle it. You've used that term expectation a couple of different times, and that's one of the reasons, and I think all builders should do this, you should have a pre-construction meeting with your client. So you're setting the proper expectations on how that budget's going to be developed, what's going to go in the budget, what's the finish level, what are the options. And I think that whomever is building a custom home must have a pre-construction meeting with the builder before the budget. I have to compliment you in how you deliver budget to client. The full transparency that you provide makes my job so much easier in uh, in my ability to communicate with clients where there might be price increases, shortages on materials, or there might be issues in general. Hey, the home that you brought to us that's been designed may not be realistic for your budget. One of the things we do with our budgets is we deliver a budget that is several pages long. It has all the major line items budgeted out so the client can see exactly what that is. Builders do it differently, though. There's some builders who are going to just deliver, here's your fixed cost, here's your allowance, here's your total. We're kind of a hybrid. We want to have that open book, and we want to show clients where the numbers are. And then we, you know, once everybody's comfortable with it, we will guarantee our number to the client. And at that point, we go into more of a fixed cost budget. You've had a lot of experience with this over the years, Drew. Do you think one way or another is better for a potential client or someone who's going to be building a custom home? I have, um, at the risk of sounding like I'm pandering to you, I've actually appreciated your process the best. The way you've developed the complete open book during the beginning, it encourages the clients to be engaged and interactive in how their budget's coming along. And I'm not saying it eliminates completely the uncomfortable conversations you have when you have to deal with soil conditions or or foundations that are um, extravagant in design, but Having that transparency from the beginning develops a basis of trust that you can count on or lean on as the home progresses and as issues may or may not come up. It provides a lot more comfort to the client, I think. I've been involved in uncomfortable positions where there are 
is not a lot of trust and it's never goes as easy as it has with Hibs Homes. I truly appreciate that. And I don't think clients understand how much effort goes into estimating and budgeting a home. And it's not just sending it out for bid and (laughs) getting the most recent or updated pricing. It's also working with designers, finding out from um, the salespeople what your expectations are. So much goes into making this very specific and making it as appropriate to the type of house and neighborhood as possible. So a lot of consideration goes into the homes. And I wish clients who come and receive a bid and then a sales presentation understand that there was a lot of effort placed into their bids. There really is. And that's why, quite frankly, the the budgeting process takes a minimum of four weeks. And in many cases, depending upon the size of the project, it could take six weeks, maybe even a little bit more on really large complicated projects. But I hope that everybody understands that this is one of the most important things that we're doing aside from the design. And we do need to take the time to make sure that all the numbers are accurate. You talked about designers a minute ago, and I I don't want to gloss over that. They are a very important part of the budgeting process because they need to be working with the clients. The clients have to really be on the same page with the designer so we know what finish levels for the various selections we're talking about so we can set the appropriate allowances, correct? Yes, and the important thing to note here is that during that stage, it's the clients that are driving um, how accurate those numbers are. So the clients who are very collaborative and will attend design meetings in advance of the budgeting or during the budgeting phase allows us to gather very accurate information, pricing based on their selections, and maybe they'll even have a good, better, best tiers of their wants list that we can incorporate into the budget. You know, maybe if the entire house is too big, we downgrade one section while we prioritize another. And um, and that's where the designers come in. They ask questions, they direct them to the proper vendor or showroom and start gathering information. And they are fantastic. I would say a good designer with uh, collaborative clients will shave a solid week off of a bidding and actually add 99% accuracy to the bid if everyone involved is able to, again, collaborate at a level where the numbers are accurate to the home. And what also helps a lot is during the budgeting process, if the designer and the client are working together and making final selections, then we can pinpoint the the budget to be fully accurate. If you do not have the final selections, then we rely on what are called allowances. We have an idea of what the finish levels are going to be. At uh, Let's say we're talking plumbing. We know what finish levels we're looking for for the plumbing category. So we're going to give them an allowance to use for that category, which means they might be given, let's say, $20,000. If they spend more, they'll have to pay for that out of pocket. If they spend less, they get that credited back to them during construction. So we prefer to try to have as many selections made up front and plug the number into the budget, but we do also operate off of allowances up front. We can we can really do it both ways. Another thing I wanted to kind of talk about, Drew, and you might want to jump in at, at, at some point too, the difference between an estimate and a full budget. A lot of times somebody will come to us with a set of plans and say, can you give us an estimate on what it would cost to build this house? We then, you and I can kind of collaborate and come up with, you know, maybe we compare it to a home we've built before, finished levels of similar, similar size. We can come back with just that as an estimate 
budget. But a true budget is when you've gone through the process, when everybody has seen the numbers and agrees to the numbers, and that budget is then what is used for the construction contract, it's used for the lender. And so that's really what the difference between an estimate and a full budget is. Yes. As the client reviews an estimate versus a budget, an estimate they might look at and say, oh, these allowances are too low. And at that point, they can interact with you and let you know the type of finishes they're looking for to make the budget more accurate so that when they move into contract, that number is firmer than an estimate would be. And I would assume that you will agree that it's important to have the estimator involved during the design process because a lot of times architects, they're great at the design component and making the home look beautiful, but they don't have a lot of the same understanding of of where construction costs are today, what the material costs are, what the labor costs are. So if you have the estimator at the design table with you, checking the the size of the house, the complexity of the house, and that type of thing, it can save a lot of heartache down the road. 100%. And there was some time lost, I think, bidding on homes that we knew would be expensive because the architect was not considering a budget in mind as they were designing. And although the homes were beautiful and would have been an honor to build, it didn't always meet the budget's limitations Mm -hmm. that we had. And so that ends up being a heartache and a loss for everyone involved. But I feel like, again, in the full transparency of how the estimating and bidding happens at Hibs Homes is that I've never seen another builder work so hard to make changes, make recommendations, and um, adjust someone else's plans to meet a budget. So having Lucy on board eliminates that very difficult and actually extended process of redesign. And Lucy is our in-house architect. We brought her on board several months ago. And quite frankly, Drew, you and I have talked about this. One of the reasons we brought her on board is because we were having so Uh many issues with architects understanding what the budget was and helping us design a home to the appropriate budget. We felt we would have much more control over that process and quite frankly, much more control over the timing of everything. So that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons Lucy's on board. We now can time out the timeline for the actual design, the budgeting, the permitting, and then getting us on into construction much more quickly. So she's uh, been a wonderful addition and just helped us immensely really navigate some really rough waters of late, especially with what's happening in the industry. So as we kind of wrap up here, Drew, did I miss anything? What are some of the tips or tricks or anything like that that you want to make sure people understand as as they kind of go into the budgeting process on what to be prepared for? I would say, again, the the most important is the transparency and communication go two-way. That way, everyone comes properly prepared with the most accurate numbers possible. It, It really helps expedite the process from design all the way through delivery. Well, I called Drew our estimator extraordinaire, and I can't thank you enough for sharing some of your expertise and certainly sharing your time with us. I think it's really great information to help get some behind-the-scenes look into the estimating process. Drew, thanks a lot. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Pella Windows and Doors. Pella is the industry leader in innovation and style. Windows have become a key element in home design and Pella has the product and professionals to guide you to your perfect solution. Pella is cutting edge in energy efficiency, durability, and performance. 
If you're tired of looking through screens, check out the Pella Integrated Roll Screen that you won't see until you need it. Pella offers the broadest selection of premium products to meet any budget and any design inspiration. Allow Pella to show you what they can do to improve the style and comfort of your home. With Pella's limited lifetime warranty, you won't have to worry about windows and doors again. Call 314-714-0100 to make an appointment or visit our showroom in Chesterfield Valley. Okay, so the budget is set. It is time to start talking lending. Tricia McConkie is with Associated Bank. She's one of our go-to lenders here in the St. Louis area. We've been working with Tricia more than a decade, and it's been a, just a wonderful relationship. And Ace Alec is a broker with People's Home Equity in the Salt Lake City, Utah area. And might I add that Ace is also the current president of the Salt Lake City HBA. Tricia and Ace, it's really a pleasure to have you joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yes, Kim, thanks for having us. Tricia, let's start with you. You work directly with Associated, which is a, a bank and which is the lender. Why is that a benefit to a potential home buyer, if you will? For us, we are a portfolio lender. So we have unique programs that are our own that we're able to develop because we are lending our own funds and not necessarily going into the secondary market for that product or to deliver it to another servicer. And the other benefit is, is that we continue to service that loan so that at the end of construction, that client gets their needs met in one loan at one time that we continue to service and we're able to just do additional things for them because we are holding that loan. Ace, let's turn the table just a little bit here. I mentioned that you're a broker. So what is the difference between a broker and a lender like Trisha and what are some of the benefits from your perspective? We actually have a brokerage department, but we are a direct lender as well, just not okay. a portfolio lender outside of Jumbo. The company does about $9 billion a year in loans, but we mostly securitize and sell to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and then we service about 80%. Main differences in the three categories are going to be, you know, brokers are the middlemen that bring stuff to banks. The majority of the business we do is what falls into conforming high balance or some Jumbo. And then like what Trish is doing is portfolio lending, where it's like a local bank that's actually lending their money, which they, they get the luxury of using logic, which is in the luxury we always have. Is there a benefit to one direction or another, Ace? You know, th there is. It's like anything else. It's, it's what's the right fit. You know, it's like when you're designing a home, you know, what, what suits your needs, right? The benefits of brokers is that they can have multiple relationships set up with different banks, a lot of times at different compensation plans and at different, for different programs in order to to set themselves up for what they can assign to the borrower, right? Mm -hmm. The pluses of a mortgage bank like ourselves is we can be very competitive in the zone where long-term financing is gonna be our bread and butter, where we're doing loans that we're packaging and selling in packages of a few hundred loans. And then those are regulated by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are legally quasi-governmental organizations, but we have a lot of clarity on what will and won't be accepted. So it's a lot more binary and more predictable. You can tell people exactly what's going to happen. And then in Trisha's own, a portfolio lender is going to be, they will do loans like a, like a local credit union, but they also have the ability to do construction loans, land loans, two closed construction loans, one closed construction loans. And they have a board that can make decisions. They have some subjectivity and some logic that they can put into their lending, which we don't have. Our Ours is regulated by like a a phone book of regulations from Fannie and Freddie that that dictate what can and can't be purchased. And then because those ultimately become mortgage-backed securities that are then purchased on the stock market, 
by fund managers, like people's 401ks or IRAs will purchase those mortgage-backed securities as a low-risk return. So they are, they are regulated. So it's very clear just in the couple of minutes we've been talking that the lending process can be very confusing. It can be somewhat scary. So let's try to dive into some of the terms and really make it understandable for our listeners. We, we're trying to help them really figure out what is the best option, what should they be prepared for. One of the terms we've already heard is jumbo. Tricia, what does that mean? So jumbo is when the loan amount goes above the conforming loan limit, and the conforming is usually governed by Fannie and Freddie. So when your loan is above that, those are loans they won't do or handle. So having a bank like myself that does handle that and specializes in those is very key. And I know from experience that that jumbo rate can float up and down. It kind of depends upon a variety of things. That's true. But we at Associated actually do a very good job of where we price our jumbo product and try to be very close to the conforming rates. So there really isn't the spread or diversity that there used to be between the two. So Ace, help people understand what should people know as they head into it? What should they be prepared for? First thing you have to look at is how much money you want to borrow, right? That's going to dictate what program and where you're suited best. And to Trisha's point, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac determine what those conforming limits are. What that means is that's the maximum they'll allow a bank to lend to and then sell as a mortgage-backed security. Those are usually the most competitive loans. Having said that, jumbo rates do fluctuate depending on demand and market. Sometimes they price better than conforming rates, and sometimes they price worse. They are driven by some of the same market conditions, but the jumbo rates are more driven on investor demand and less on mortgage-backed security demand. So determining how much you want to borrow is very important. And then you can look up what the conforming limit is. It's set by county, and it's usually based on median income by the county. So it can be very illogical. You know, sometimes you have counties, we have some rural counties here that have higher conforming limits than Salt Lake County, which is a higher density county. And people will get frustrated by that. But the reason it is a higher limit is it's less populated and just so happens the median income is higher. So the conforming limit is is higher. And those do change every year as well. Tricia, what are some of the documents that a prospective buyer would need to submit when they're becoming approved for a loan? And then how long does the process generally take? So with us, we require basically a two-year history of that client's income documentation. On all of our construction loans, we do require two years of tax returns, um, your two years of W-2s that correspond with that recent pay stubs. And then, of course, your assets that we're looking to verify. So that's going to be through bank statements, 401k statements, investment statements, wherever the down payment is coming from for the construction loan, as well as any reserves that we're verifying based on the loan amount and the program. And um, the reserves are just that. There, it's not something that's required to be liquid, but it's something that we're looking at as a lender and seeing what the strength of your credit profile is, what depth do you have. And if some event were to happen in your life, 
what do you have to fall back on to make payments with? Ace, let me ask you this question, because earlier in our podcast series, we were talking about the difference between a fixed cost project and, a, and an open book project with a, with a custom builder. And you really can do it a couple of different ways if you're thinking about building a custom home. Fixed cost means just that. You're, you have a guaranteed cost not to exceed. And then an open book cost plus is where the builder opens the books, shares everything with you, the good, the bad, the ugly, and you participate in all the risk sharing as well as any possible savings that uh, that might come up throughout the project. Do you have a way that seems to work best for custom clients? I would defer back to it. It depends on the loan amount and the client. You know, some people want to be conservative and, and want to know exactly what it's going to cost. And then a lot of times the, the builder will hedge that risk, obviously, because they don't know what may or may come in higher. And they'll give the client allowances in certain categories that they have to stay within. A cost plus, the benefit is it's more open and transparent, but if something does come in higher, then the client's paying for it and not the builder, right? In my opinion, I personally like the the hybrid. I think unless you're a seasoned you know, person who's built lots of homes, that hybrid I found to be the best with people, with the competent builder that's accurately estimating those allowances. Building and construction is is a challenging industry just like lending for someone, for a client who comes in, it's such a big number and it's such a big product. One of the issues the industry faces is that at times it doesn't reward transparency. And that's something as an industry that, that we need to do a better job of is educating people that. That's part of the broken system there. So if you meet with Builder A and Builder A says to you, hey, the, here's your plans. I think you're going to spend $10,000 on tile, for example. And Builder B knows you're going to spend 15000 on tile. And he puts a $15,000 allowance in there. Now, if we have a crystal ball and we say, okay, let's hop in our time machine and 12 months from now, you spent $15,000 on tile. That was the truth. Now, how do we educate that? How do we get people informed of that process so that it doesn't cause that stress at the end? It doesn't make people feel like, hey, this costs a lot more than I thought, you know? That's something as an industry I think we need to do a better job of. It's a good point, and, and I truly agree with you because we, as a, a custom builder, have been involved on both sides. We've done some fixed cost projects. We do some open book projects, and we try to explain to our client up front exactly what you explained, what the differences are, what the pros and cons are, you know, what the risks are. And so that is a good conversation to have with your builder up front and truly understand what is the best option. Now more than ever, it's important for you and your family to enjoy the spaces you're in most often. Count on the experts at Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery to help you make the most of home and create a space you'll love to live in together. Shop online or schedule a personalized consultation to discover stunning products from the comfort of your own home. So Trisha, we're going to continue. Let's let's try to demystify the lending process a little bit here. Any changes to lending over the past few years that someone who's been out of the market for a while may not be aware of? We have actually, I think, improved what we're offering over the last couple of years. We have a one-time closed construction loan. So that gives you your construction feature and your permanent financing all in one loan. We also have an opportunity where if the client has a home that they're going to sell, 
and they want to retain that home, we qualify them with that, but then they can take those proceeds later on and apply it to the mortgage they took out for construction, uh, make that principal down payment, and we can actually have the ability to recast that for them without the need to refinance. So that's a really big plus there. And we've also started offering an extended rate lock option. So besides locking in the arm rate that we offer it on, um, you have your choice between a 315171 or 101 arm. Um, and those are adjustable rate mortgages that are a fully amortized 30-year loan. We also offer a conversion option to a 30-year fixed once the home is complete. And then we also offer the option to lock in that 30-year fixed up front now, and that's a new one. So you get a 12-month lock-in on a 30-year fixed up front if that's something you want to choose. It just sounds like there's a lot of flexibility out there. And to help people understand when you're talking 3151-7101, you're basically saying that over three years, that's when they can adjust. It can adjust no more than, than 1%. Is that right? That's close. So the leading number is indicating the number of years that the interest rate is mm -hmm. fixed before right. it can adjust up or down. And then different ARM programs have different adjustments. Some are 2% at that adjustment and some are 5% at the adjustment, but they also have caps over the life of the loan, which tend to be a 5% cap no matter what the adjustment cap is. Ace, I know you're in one of the hottest markets in the country. Every time I, I open a, a trade magazine or, or listen to, you know, even you can turn on, you know, the nightly news and they're talking about the construction industry and residential homes. Utah, northern Utah, Salt Lake City is one of the booming markets. A lot of it has to do with the population growth, the Silicon Slopes, which is just south of Salt Lake City and things like that. And then you've got areas like, you know, Park City and Heber and that are just growing because of vacationers. You're in an extremely hot market. How far in advance do you need to start talking with a lender and how, do, how long does the lending process generally take once you have your budget? The process should start with the lender even before you speak with the real estate agent it usually goes to the real estate agent first which is the builder first but okay. it, it should really start with the lender because why look at something that you may or may not be qualified for and why participate in guesswork on the largest purchase of your life for most people so sitting down and understanding the numbers is really really important i don't think people like vagueness i don't like vagueness I'm sure Trisha doesn't like vagueness. You don't like vagueness. We all want to be able to speak with specificity. And that can take, if they have the documentation, it can take as little as one day if they're prepared. So about 15 minutes to fill out an application, a day or so to collect documentation, and about 45 minutes to review. And we can give people exactly where they need to be and what their options are. You're absolutely right. Once you know what that budget is, then you can design the house specifically to that budget, include the land that you're going to be purchasing into it as well. Tricia, in the St. Louis area, we do a lot of what's called infill construction, which means we're either buying a lot that's already within a community or we're doing a lot of what they call, I prefer the term deconstruction. Most people <laughs> will say demolition. I like to deconstruct a home and repurpose the material if at all possible. How does demolition play into this and how does infill building play into the uh, the lending process? Actually, it really works the same as if you're going into a community and it's a custom build. For us, we allow the client to include anything that they need that requires them to build that home, which includes a demolition of any old structure that may be on the property that they acquire. And 
anything else going forward, architect plans, all of those sort of things. What I always tell my clients is you can include anything that is a permanent part of the home. So we'll include that into, you know, the cost of the total home. And that's part of the number that we give them up front, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of what they're qualifying for. A couple of notes on this conversation that might be helpful to our listeners in general, the the percentage of the lot cost compared to the total project, if you're looking at the production home, usually is around 20%. But with infill and custom homes, depending upon the area, that number can go much higher. As a yes. lender, you're okay with that, right? You could be at 30%. Sometimes, heck, you might even be closer to 50 if you're talking a very expensive lot and the home itself is going to be very expensive. Yes, and we're okay with it. And that is absolutely where something we're experiencing in the St. Louis area, especially mm-hmm. with infills, is that the land is expensive to acquire initially. So we don't have a problem with that ratio being different. And we also offer the land loan. Land is hot and it's hard to come by. And so if you find it, you need to be prepared to be able to purchase it quickly. And the custom process and going through and getting your plans and budgeting you know, takes quite a bit of time. So being able to do a land loan, get the land that you want, knowing like this is where I want to be, being able to take that pause and really spend the time developing the true home you want to build is is key. Not only is land hot, but construction pricing continues to rise at an unprecedented rate right now, led by lumber prices. Ace, how does that affect the appraisal? Because I've heard a lot of builders are complaining right now because they're not getting accurate appraisals or their homes won't appraise out because of these high land prices and high construction prices. There's a lot when it comes to appraisals and construction. Most people, when they start building a home, are going to be looking at what it appraises for with the plans on that lot in the future. And the builder can compensate for some of those costs on their cost breakdown and hopefully be accurate. Now, there's always going to be those times where if lumber skyrocketed, like if you did your budget in January or, or December of last year, and then all of a sudden you're updating it just now, there's going to be a jump in lumber cost, and that might be impactful. But if the builder can update the cost breakdown and show those increases, as long as it appraises for more, it shouldn't be an issue. We are very active when it comes to the appraisal process. We have a very thorough and detailed budget that we share with our lender. The lender there sh- then shares it with the appraiser. And I also tell our lenders to make sure that the appraiser calls me directly because we can, as builders, talk with uh, with the appraiser and we can help them understand why our home is being built in a certain way and maybe help them understand why we're building the home, what the materials are, you know, what an appropriate comp might be and that type of thing. So make sure your builder is willing to go to bat for you as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of yeah. that, you know, we do build homes that are a little bit different. We are known as a high performance builder. They're more efficient. They're more durable, cleaner indoor air quality, you know, lower maintenance costs, more comfortable. So they're, they're different homes. And Trisha, I know know that you, as a lender, take that into account when it comes to how the appraiser looks at it and then how you look at it from a lender's perspective. So for us, we actually, no matter what type of home you're building for construction, we have a specialty panel of appraisers that we use. So that's very helpful in the process. And like you said, we don't deliver the plans to them purposefully. We make sure that we tell them they need to contact the builder so that it does open up that 
communication right away between the appraiser and the builder. In a high performance situation, then we want the appraiser to be aware of those things, which again is especially key for them to talk to you, understand the products that are going into the home, the performance that it's gonna give, how that home is going to perform differently. And then from an underwriting perspective, it's something that can be taken into account as well, knowing that the client's monthly bills to own and operate that home are going to be less. A couple of quick housekeeping details as we wrap up here. Ace, I'll ask you first, what is the typical down payment formula for someone who's looking to build a custom home? 20 to 25% of the lot amount, if it's conforming, could be as little as 5%, could be as little as 3% down of the conforming limit. If it's a construction loan, generally the construction lender is going to want a little bit more. When you start getting into jumbo loans, they'll generally want a little bit more, usually 20 to 25% of the entire build. Trisha, what are you seeing? If they're doing a land loan, then yes, it's 20% down on the land. Once we go into construction, in general, it's 10% down on the total cost of construction. So that is your land cost plus your construction cost. However, any equity that you do have in the land counts toward that 10%. So that is helpful to have either the land owned outright maybe, or having the land already owned where you've put a down payment on that already. That's a great point because people, we get asked this question a lot, which is, you know, can you use the equity in the land? If you've owned the land and you've been on title for the lot, then you can use some of that equity towards that down payment. If you're acquiring the lot at the same time as you're going to build, then you cannot do that. Ace, I want to circle back. Both you and Tricia mentioned you have to have a two-year history when you're applying for, for a loan. But one of the things that, that might come up is what about changing jobs? How does, how does that affect the two-year history? As long as someone is staying in the same field and in the same type of pay. So if you're a W-2 employee and you stay being a W-2 employee and you're making the same or better, then there is no issue at all. Um, the issue really comes in when either someone is switching that type. So if you go from W-2 to commission, or if they're going from W-2 to self-employment, then that becomes an issue because there's no history of that other type of employment or income flow. If you are going to switch jobs, just make sure the gap in employment is not more than six months. If your gap is six months or more, then it can reset the clock on needing to have a certain, depending on the program, a certain amount of time on the job. So if it's a month or two, it's, it's not a big deal. If there's any gaps bigger than six months, it's something we definitely want to go deeper on. Tricia, any last minute thoughts about uh, the lending process and what people might want to be prepared for? I would say key thing that I advise my clients is think about building like buying. A real estate agent doesn't want to take you and show you a bunch of homes without a pre-approval. And the builder feels the same way. I think oftentimes clients think that if they tell the builder what their budget is, then the builder is just looking to spend that amount. But that's not true. There's a lot of time and effort and energy that goes into building that budget on the builder's part and his staff and the borrower's part too. So getting pre-approved and knowing what that budget amount is, is extremely helpful in just the timeline of getting your home built. I think the message should be sent out there that understanding your lending options is a consultation and viewing this first step. It's so complicated and finding a good advisor and consulting with them early on in the process is really what it's about. 
Excellent advice, and I would say the same thing for custom builders, too. We are always approachable. We love to help people understand, put the team together before you launch into this kind of once-in-a-lifetime uh, project. So Ace, very good advice, and, and thanks again. Tricia, thank you. Thank yeah, you for having us. Kim. By the way, speaking of great advice, if you want to go to the show notes section of our podcast, you're going to be able to uh, download a guide to construction lending and pricing. It's really a planning guide, and I think that would be extremely helpful to understand not only the the lending side of things, but also the budgeting side of things. So again, feel free to visit our show notes and download that guide to construction lending and pricing. And if you ever have any questions for us along the way too, we'd love to hear from you. Phone number is 314-266-9709-314-266-9709. So coming up on our next episode, we're going to take you into the field and help you understand what to expect during the construction of your dream home. So grab your hard hat and join us. For more information, visit www.artofcustompodcast.com or find us on Facebook as The Art of Custom and on Twitter at Art of Custom Pod. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to get the latest episodes, and please rate and review to help us grow. The Art of Custom is produced by Hug Monster Sound, with original music by Adam Frick-Ferdine. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.